Well, good morning. Let's take our Bibles. Let's go to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Good to see you this morning. Just a reminder again tonight, family meeting tonight at 5 p.m. Lots of stuff to talk about, good stuff. New members, and we're going to talk some stuff about the summer. And uh, just a reminder also, after uh, our family meeting tonight, um, we're going to have a, a quick meeting about uh, anyone interested in going to uh, the Dominican Republic um, this summer on a mission trip. That'll be uh, July 13th through the 19th. So some of you uh, will are going to go back. Some of you maybe, if you if you didn't go, but maybe you're being led to go, just come to that. It'll be right after. We won't stay very long, but need to uh, to talk about um, some s- specifics there. Also. Uh, in two weeks, the night of March the 10th, we are going to, uh, to have Starting Point, which is the kind of the pathway to membership here at, at Cross Point Church. And the way that um, Starting Point works or way, way membership works is we have a class called Starting Point. We hang out, we eat, and uh, we as pastors just kind of, um, kind of open up like the hood of the truck and show you what's inside or open up the doors and let you see inside. This is how we work as a church. This is what we believe. This is how uh, we function, and and then uh, if you are further interested in becoming a member, um, starting point after that, you'll sit down with one of us as pastors, and we just get to know you, and uh, so that's how that works. But it all starts with with starting point. So that's in two weeks, March the tenth at uh, five p.m. Um, here, and we'll talk more about that as well as next week. But family meeting tonight at five. And please come. Lots of stuff to talk about. A few of our, our ministry teams that we have uh, started back up um, are going to share some exciting things um, tonight um, as well. And it's really encouraging. We'll, we'll start tonight with a financial report, which is encouraging, y'all. Amen? Ryan's going to take care of that tonight. Anyway, all right. Acts chapter 20. We're going to look at verses 7 through 16 this morning. Uh, we've got really three weeks before we uh, Easter becomes imminent, and so the next three weeks we're going to do our best to get through chapter 20, and then we're going to uh, shift to an Easter, uh, a couple-week Easter um, series as we lead up to, to that. But I hope you understand, you'll see in the passage this morning, the early Christians just didn't look forward to Easter one day a year. They celebrated every Sunday as a celebration that the Son of God was raised from the dead. Acts chapter 20 Verse 7, If you, before we get to that, look back in verse 6 just to remind ourselves. They're in the city of Troas. The mission team is. Luke has rejoined the mission team with Paul and others. And we'll pick up in verse 7. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them. That's important, that preposition. With them, intending to depart on the next day. And he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. And a young man named Eutychus, that name, by the way, means lucky or fortunate, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms, said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while, until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive 
and were not a little comforted. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there. For so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And we met, and when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came to the following day opposite Chios, and then we touched at Samos, and the day after we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus for so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Title of the message today, Faithfulness, Lucky's Fall, and Paul's Resolve. Don't you just love passages like this? Like it's, it's a combination of like a pickoff for, from last week, Paul's travels, the church is meeting together, and there's just like resurrection in the middle of a sermon. I mean, that's just the book of Acts. We were talking about it at small group this week, and somebody just said, dude, Acts is wild. And yeah, it is. It's amazing. And we're going to see this morning kind of the, the, what you, the, the marriage in Acts of the normal and the supernatural, because that's what our life's like as a Christian, right? Some of you need to be reminded this morning that the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, lives inside of you, and yet you needed like three extra cups of coffee to wake up, right? You and me have been saved from the penalty of sin. We're being delivered from the power of sin, and yet, guess what? We really regret Tuesday morning of this week, right? And we find ourselves in the middle, in in the struggle, in the reality that although we are seated with Christ in the heavenlies, the law of physical and spiritual gravity really hits us hard every single day. We're in the now and not yet. We're in the now and yet we look forward to come, and and we see that. Now, I'm, I'm not doing this as a joke. We're in the middle of the third missionary journey, so let's put a map up. Let's remind ourselves of where we are, and, and the reason we keep putting the map up, if you'd put it up, d for me, is we need to, to connect the dots again. So, this story of this passage takes place in this city called Troas, okay? Acts chapter 19, Paul has been in Ephesus. That's where he did ministry. Justin walked us through last week that he had to take an emergency trip to Corinth, but he came back. At the end of Acts 19, Paul leaves Ephesus and He goes here, and now he comes back, and he is in Troas. So, Acts chapter 20, what we just read, is Paul on his way back to Jerusalem. Now, just leave it up just for a minute, Delo. I want you to understand that there may be something going on here in the book of Acts. We, we, We taught you early on that Acts is like a part two to the Gospel of Luke. Same writer, only Gentile writer in the New Testament. In the Gospel of Luke, there is a decisive shift where... Jesus sets his mind and heart towards Jerusalem. It happens in Luke 9. He turns his face toward Jerusalem. And the rest of the gospel of Luke is Jesus knowing that he's headed to Jerusalem. Something right here might also be going on because the next several chapters involve Paul headed to Jerusalem. Now, Justin's going to show us next week in Acts chapter 20, verse 22 and 23, Paul knew something was going to go down when he got to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit began to move his heart and say, hey, you're going to be imprisoned. Paul may have even thought that he was going to die in Jerusalem, but he's still headed there. And so you see, on the way back now, he has stopped in Troas, and we're told in chapter 20, verse 6, that they're here for seven days. And so what we read is the end of that ministry. Now, 
One more thing before we, we dive into the passage. There is a church in Troas. And Justin showed us last week in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 that when Paul left Ephesus, he went to Troas. And you remember there was a wide open door for the gospel. But he didn't stay there because he was trying to find his buddy named Titus, okay? That is probably where these believers came from, was, was during that opening preaching of the gospel. Now, they had been in Troas. You remember, this is the same city where they don't know where to go. They can't, they can't go up here. They can't go over here. This is back in Acts 16. Paul has the dream where? In Troas. And it was a man from Macedonia saying, come over here and help us. That was back in Acts 16. So this is the third time they're in Troas. But these Christians that he's meeting with in this passage probably were saved when he preached the gospel on the way up from Ephesus, okay? That's why I leave the map up there, just to kind of connect those dots, all right? So now on the way back, they're meeting. They're meeting. Paul's headed towards Jerusalem. Now we go back to verse 7. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them. I'm going to show you several things from this passage this morning, and this is the first. I want you to see first the faithfulness of the church at Troas. The faithfulness of the church at Troas. This is a local church, local believers. They probably haven't been believers very long, maybe a year, maybe even less than that. Maybe a little longer if we take their conversion back even to Acts 16. But they haven't been believers very long. But you see in their hearts a faithfulness. And the faithfulness that we find in verse 7 and 8 is, is almost a picture also of the faithfulness we see all across the book of Acts. And, and what is this faithfulness? Look first. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together. Now, what, is, what day is he talking about? He, he's probably talking about Sunday. And they're gathered at night. Luke is probably using Roman time, because Jewish time would mean 6 p.m. to 6 p.m., but already in the book, Luke has kind of kept time like a, a Roman would, that the beginning of the day is sun up and the end of the day is sun down. And so what this is probably saying, this is really the first time in Acts that we, that we find a, a specific statement that Christians meet on Sunday. Now, why would they be meeting on Sunday night? <laughs> because they had already worked all day. <laughs> and if you had Christians who were indentured servants or slaves, guess what? Guess when the only time of the day they could meet? At night. Or you had business owners, guess what? Guess what the only time they could meet was? At night. Now, I, I was in India one time, and Christians uh, that, that worked on this tea plantation, they gathered on Tuesday. You know why? That was their day off. <laughs> and, and Paul's pretty clear in other places that if, if people point to one day that you have to meet and one day's better than another. You shouldn't do that. But check this out. Normatively, we find the early church meeting on the first day of the week, which would be what? Christ's resurrection, the day of Christ's resurrection, the, the day that he was raised from the dead. These are Gentile believers, and they were faithful. Notice they were faithful to gather together. There is something to be said in 
the scriptures over and over and over and over again that you and I, along the pilgrim pathway, we go out into the world, and then guess what? There must be times that we gather with other believers. Not once a month. Not once every six months. Justin's taught us this, and when you desire God and have a love for God, what comes along with that is love for God's people. And they gathered together. They were faithful together. But notice it also says that when they gathered together, they gathered together to break bread. What does that mean? In just a few minutes, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. That's probably what this is a reference to. But Christians also in the first century, they had what was called a, a love feast or, or an agape feast, an agape feast. And what they would do is they would sit together, they would eat together, they would fellowship, and then usually in the middle of that or towards the end of that, they would take the Lord's Supper together. And this was a time of fellowship. This was ingraining in them this idea that they were the family of God, that God was their father, and they had brothers and sisters. And so families day to day would sit together and eat. Now, once a week, the, this, this spiritual family would come together and they would eat. And they're faithful to do this. What else did the early church do? Well, we're told in verse 7 that Paul talked with them. As a course of week-to-week fellowship, guess what they did? They did what we're doing right now. They sat under the instruction of the apostles. They sat under the instruction of later on when there weren't apostles. The apostles appointed men. Where you, they're, they're, you call different things, pastors, bishops, overseers, they're all synonyms of just local church leadership who takes the word of God and does their best to feed the the people of God. And so just in this passage, check this out. They're faithful to come together. They're faithful to break bread, fellowship, Lord's Supper, and they're faithful to be taught. Now, Paul says here, it says that he talked with them. This word in the Greek is also used in verse 9 that Paul talked, same word there, it, it's, a, it's, it's almost like he would teach and there was a discussion. So when you're reading this, it's not that Paul like preached for like 10 hours, okay? Blessed are the merciful, they shall be shown mercy, okay? That's, that's, not, what, that, that's not what is happening here. What it is is Paul would talk and then they would, they would have a discussion, they would have a, a discourse. It's kind of like, you know, in our small groups, what do we do? We, we discuss what, what was taught to us. And, and although primarily this part of our services are, are preaching, it would be interesting occasionally if we just maybe had a family discussion for a few minutes, right? That this is what's happening. Paul's teaching. Questions are being raised. Questions are being answered. But we should understand here what Paul, Paul's the visiting preacher, okay? They, they got a living apostle for a few minutes, all right? I, I, I'm tempted to think that I might stay up all night as well if John or Thomas or Paul or somebody, an apostle in the flesh, like was hanging out in Laurel for a couple days, right? We miss that. There are no more apostles. If anybody tells you they're apostle, run away. If you need the title, it probably tells you that you're not what you are entitling yourself to be. Amen? So they're faithful. Now we know also from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, that when they gathered, they prayed. Acts chapter 4, they prayed. And so again, we can read the book of Acts and we can find out what they did when they came together. And so, again, this is that, uh, that prescriptive descriptive. Is the, is the text describing for us or prescribing for us? Well, we're, we're told to teach the Word. We're told to be taught the Word. 
We're told to sing. We're told to pray. We're told to fellowship and love one another. All the one another commands in the scripture. So what we see is these people gathering and basically doing the same fundamentals that we do on Sunday. That's very encouraging. So, so why do we read scripture at the beginning of our services? Why do we Read Scripture at the end of our services, because in the Bible it says, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Why do we preach the Bible? Why do we take time-wise a significant part of our service to teach the Bible? Because that's what we find the early church doing. Why do we take time to pray for local churches and the nations and countries that we've never even heard of? Because we find God calling us to do that. And so check this out. They were simply faithful to do what they knew they were supposed to do. Can I encourage you today? If you're facing a huge life decision or you're uncertain about the future, check this out. Don't worry about what to do with that. Do what you know you are already supposed to do. And by God's grace and God's help and God's people, that way will become plain when it needs to be. We worry about all these things that we might need to do and yet we ignore what he's called us to do. So we find these people faithful. Faithfulness is so important. It's been said before that God didn't call us to be successful. God called us to be faithful. Jesus commended the servant who was found faithful when he came back. There's an interesting statement in the Didache, which is a an early uh, first century document. It's not scripture, but it kind of gives us a, a peek into what Christians were doing. There's a section, it's almost like a church manual. There's a section in it that, that says what to do when you gather. This is what it says. This is in the Didache chapter 14. But every Lord's day, gather yourselves together and break bread and give thanksgiving after having confessed your transgressions, that your sacrifice may be pure. But let no one who is at odds with his fellow come together with you until they be reconciled, that your sacrifice may not be profaned. For this is what was spoken by the Lord. In every place and time, offer to me a pure sacrifice. For I am a great king, says the Lord, and my name is wonderful among the nations. Guess what we find there that maybe isn't present in a lot of our churches today is confession of sin, reconciliation. Check this out. The Lord's Supper today is a great opportunity before you take of it to reconcile with a brother or sister that you have beef with, right? Because we're told not to come to the altar, right, until we are reconciled with our brother and sister. If you got all in your heart, guess what? Today, make it right. And if somebody were to come to you today and guess what? Confess sin to you, you forgive as the Lord forgave you. Because that's what the Lord's Supper is in a few minutes, isn't it? It's a celebration of the fact that we've been forgiven by Christ. Faithfulness of the church. Secondly, I want you to see, and this is really encouraging, the normalcy of the church. Just the ordinariness. And this is where we first see just kind of that identification with just humanity. So on the first day of the week, they had a calendar too in the book of Acts. Did you know that? They had time. They didn't get things done on time. They felt pressed to do certain things. The day was gone. Where did the day go? The week was gone. Where did the, I felt like that this week. You know, like, where did the, the week go? They were gathered together to break bread. You need food. Paul talked with them. Now, this may be a reality in maybe even our church. He prolonged his speech. 
Notice how Luke just kind of gives a little sharp, like, Paul, talk for a minute. You know what I mean? And it says there that there were many lamps in the upper room. They don't have electricity. If we didn't have electricity, would we gather? <laughs> now, I know we don't have heat or AC, and we still gather over there, praise the Lord. Commend y'all. But notice these people, what they don't have. And so there's darkness, and they need light. And then we meet our friend Eutychus. It says that he is a young man, which would make you think maybe he was in his late 20s or, or early 20s or late teens. But in verse 12, he's called a youth, which would imply, the Greek word implies he was probably between 8 to 14 years of age. And notice what he encounters when he encounters preaching. He encounters sleep. Right? Anybody can identify with that? Look, I've always told people, if you fall asleep while I'm preaching, I, it doesn't offend me because this guy fell asleep when Paul was preaching. The only thing is, he died, and I'm not an apostle, okay? But, but don't you see that? Like, they're gathered together, and maybe, I don't know how long the church gathered, but Paul's there, and so maybe, you know, some men and women, oh, we're excited, the meeting's going to go a little extra tonight, and midway through, Eutychus is... Ah, he hits that wall, right? We've all hit that wall. And there's just, there's just, just a normalcy about this passage. They had to open the window. The lamps were giving off oil and giving off fumes, and people didn't want to smell that, so they opened the window. And poor Eutychus, he tries in, in some way to, 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 to not fall asleep, and he goes and he sits by the window so that the wind will come. He can breathe air. He gets drowsy. And the preacher keeps preaching, and he falls out the window, and the law of gravity kicks in because it's not exempt. It existed in Bible times, and there's a real ground, and there's a real thud, and there's a real death. You need to read the pages of Scripture and realize that those people lived in a real normal world like you. It's refreshing to think that our heroes in the Bible— had to go to the restroom. They had to blow their nose. They had to comb their hair with whatever they had, not like us. They, they got hot. They sweated. They dealt with all the things that we deal with. Christianity doesn't remove the normalcy or trials or pain or sweat or blood from life. It helps you endure in the middle of that. And I would say, when you look at the normalcy of the situation, their faithfulness shines just a little brighter, doesn't it? think about in our life the faithfulness that we struggle with despite everything we have and yet how faithful they were and not having anything that we have. That just exposes oftentimes that we want Jesus for what we get out of him rather than we should be in it for what he gets out of us. And this group of people sitting with an apostle discussing with him, yeah, he's an apostle, but he's normal. Yeah, they're first century believers, but they're normal. Third, I want you to see God's power in the church at Troas. 
And a young man named Eutychus means lucky or fortunate. Now, I'm tempted to think that this was probably his name from birth. I don't think the church would look back on what happened and say, man, you were lucky. Let's ascribe how your situation worked out by pure luck. I don't think that, so his name was probably this. So here's the humor. Here's the humor from Luke. Lucky gets up trying to escape the fumes and Lucky ends up in a worse situation. He falls out the window. There's four verbs here that I want to point to your attention in verse 9. He was sitting at the window. He sank into a deep sleep. Paul talked still longer. And he was overcome by sleep. This is, this is what the picture is. It's, it's a real funny picture. Eutychus is feeling sleep come on, and maybe he's worked all day, or, or maybe you know, as, as a teenager he's, he's been running the streets and, uh, d- during that afternoon. And so he comes that night. I, we don't know whether he was drugged there or he came there, you know, or, you know, you're going to go listen to the Apostle Paul. I don't know. But he's sitting there, and he starts feeling it. And so he gets up. And he's over here, and he's leaned up against the window. Now, it would be open. Sometimes they had lattice work there, but this is a wide open window. And he's sitting there, and, and what the verb is saying is, initially, he tries to fight it. And what, what's going through his mind probably is, please, Apostle Paul, dear sir, man of God, please be quiet because I'm about to go to sleep. But then Luke says, Paul didn't do that. Paul just kept talking. And so the more Paul talked, The harder Eutychus tried to fight, but eventually, check this out, sleep overcame him. You ever been there before? You ever tried to fight it? I I was trying in in the Himalayas one time, we were taking a bus, and and I I was trying to avoid um, nausea and and car sickness, and so I took two Dramamine. The problem was I forgot I took the two Dramamine, and I took two Benadryl too. Yeah. I got DDT'd by sleep, okay? And you're sitting there, and you're fighting it, and you're fighting it, and you're fighting it, and then you're just gone, right? This is not the first time nor the last time that somebody will fall asleep. It's always funny when I preach at different churches, and I'll be somewhere next week, and, and to, to see sometimes how people respond to the message. I was in, this was, I think I was in college, but I was preaching one time, and they had a choir behind me, so you feel like you know, you have to turn around and talk to the choir and then you're back. So like, how do you operate? Anyway, I walk, I remember walking over here and I looked up and there was this old gentleman and he was almost like falling out of his chair because he was asleep in the choir. He was passed out. And guess what he told me after the message? Man, son, I enjoyed that sermon. You know what I mean? <laughs> it happens. Eutychus trying to stay awake falls out. Now, notice what Luke says at the end of verse 9. It says, he fell down from the third story, and he was taken up dead. Some people have have said that he appeared to be dead, and and the miracle is that he didn't die. And, And you could maybe read it that way. I think Luke, the physician, is basically saying there was a great consensus that he was dead. Not, like, you know, like, I'm not making light of it, okay? But, but like, like, think about, like, like, think about what would happen if somebody had a cardiac event or a heart attack or a stroke and somebody, like, died in the middle of a message 
or the worship. Like, that's what's happening here. That's what's happening here. Like, how do we respond? I mean, Paul's on one, man. He's preaching, and somebody's asking him a question, and so he's diving into all the mysteries. He's like, hey, I just wrote a letter to the church at Rome. Let me, let me tell you about this. You imagine, you know, Paul, Paul giving commentary on his own letter to Rome. That'd be awesome, right? And he's right in the middle of it, and then somebody screams, and everybody looks real quick, and he's falling out the window. And the meeting stops, and the preaching stops, and they run down to the bottom. It says that, verse 10, that Paul went down, and he bent over him, and took him in his arms. So, so probably Paul wasn't the first person that got on the scene because somebody else probably ran down and picked Eutychus up or grabbed him and he was dead. That's Luke's assessment, that he's dead. And Paul gets there and Paul picks him up. Paul says, don't be alarmed for his life is in him. I want you to see God's power. In the middle of a night worship service where there's no ventilation and there's oil lamps and there's a weird smell and Eutychus is probably not the only one fighting sleep in the room. In the middle of the end of a long work day and everybody feeling this, all of a sudden there's a supernatural power at work. We don't know when the miracle took place. I tend to think that Eutychus was dead, and when Paul picked him up, that's when God brought him back to life. This is one of ten resurrections we have in the Scripture. It's the only resurrection we have of that Paul was. We've already read where, Paul, where, where Peter raised a, a believer named Tabitha or Dorcas in Acts chapter 9 in Joppa. It's interesting what Paul does, though. Paul makes physical contact. Two other People used by God in resurrections, Elijah and Elisha, and first and second kings. Actually, it talks about they, they made physical contact with the, the corpse. Elijah even, Elijah and Elisha even it, it says that they put eyes to eyes, nose to nose, mouth to mouth. And it was a just a like a picture of the transmitting of life. So Paul embraces this eight to fourteen year old young man. And brings him close. And apparently it was at that moment that God brought him back from the dead. Wow. Now let me encourage you. There's only ten resurrections in the Bible. Now there's a coming resurrection. And so, again, this isn't normative, okay? In his ministry, Jesus only did three. Jairus' daughter and son of uh, the widow at Nain, town of Nain, and Lazarus. And I guess Jesus, Scripture teaches us that Jesus raised himself, so Christ four. <laughs> but isn't it interesting that we don't have a letter to the church at Troas? And we only really find them this one. But, but man, in the midst of just them gathering, guess what? God displayed his power. So this is what I want you to see. In the middle of just the normal, fateful, mundane week, we still have a God that works powerfully in the middle of that. 
So when we gather together, there needs to be an expectancy. We don't know what he's up to, but he's up to something. I want to pause here, and I want to insert something. Not to change what the text says, but I think there's a caution here, and I just want to mention this in passing. There's a caution I think we need to be aware of as we read and listen to this passage, and it's against spiritual drowsiness. I was thinking through this passage this week, and I was thinking through the times in my life that I have fallen asleep, not maybe practically or physically in a church service. I've done that a few times. But just as a way of life. Isn't it interesting that Eutychus fell asleep when there was a lot of light in the room and while an apostle was preaching? Some people fall asleep. Check this out. Some people fall asleep because they have too much light in their life. They don't do anything with the truth they hear. They don't do anything with what they get. They don't do anything with the light that they are exposed to. A very dangerous place is to hear the Word of God week after week, day after day, and never do anything with it. And some of you this morning, let me caution you. You are outside of Christ. You are not born again. And yet, you continually hear the Word of God and yet do nothing with it. When you fall out of the window of life into eternity, there is no hope of everlasting resurrection for you because you die in your sins. And for the longest time, you had access to the light of the gospel and the light of the word. You don't live in Azerbaijan. You live in the most Bible-saturated place on earth. Can I just tell you today, Come to Christ. Die to your religion. Die to your self-righteousness. Hand your sin over to the one who paid for it on the cross. Let go of your rebellion. Come to Jesus. Give him the reward of his suffering. Some of you may feel like you're too far gone. Christ died for all peoples. There's nothing that you have done that has disqualified you from being included what Jesus did already on your behalf. But let me just make one more application. It could be that as a believer, you've just kind of been lethargic lately. You've been taking in the ambient of the world and you've just been taking in all this stuff. And there's sin in your life and guess what it causes you? It just causes you to spiritually nap. Guess what? Don't, don't do that. Don't, don't do that. Maybe possibly God's worked greatly in your life and you're just trying to coast the next little bit off of what God did six months ago in your life. Don't do that. Don't do that. Wake up. Jesus warned us many times about falling asleep. Here's just one example of it. Just, just listen to what the Word says. Jesus says, concerning the day or the hour, His second coming, no one knows. Be on your guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come. Lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. 
The proverb says, how long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. The apostle Paul says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is not me coming at you and saying, you don't need physical sleep. You don't need a nap because many of you are going to enjoy the day of rest today. Enjoy it. Take a nap but don't live all week asleep spiritually. What you hear, obey. What God shows in your life, apply it. Do it. And don't we see Paul doing that? Look in verse 11. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. If somebody died in the middle of a worship service and they got raised from the dead, I don't think we would go up, have a snack, and start church back up. That's what they did. Hey, be comforted. He's still alive. And he hands him over to the family. And then Paul goes up. This breaking bread here, this is a snack, okay? This is halftime. And then Paul preaches till sunrise. And they took away the youth alive and were not a little comforted. What I'm trying to get at is Paul didn't coast. He had a short time with these believers. And so guess what? They celebrated the, this resurrection, this miracle. But then you know what? They went right back to Q&A, teaching, applying, instructing. And this is what I want you to see finally, number five. Paul presses on to the next place. We're given a the next couple of days of travel. And what's interesting is it says in verse 13 that they set sail for Assos, but Paul went by land. Now, Delo map, please. Notice he's in Troas. And we're going to find next week, at the end of this, they end up at Miletus. So notice, to get to, from Troas to Assos by ship, you got to go around this little peninsula. Paul, for whatever reason, goes straight to Assos by land. Now, why did he do that? Just keep the map up for a second, Dilo. Maybe a few different reasons. Maybe Christians from Troas walked with him to Assos, and so guess what he did? He had a few more times of, of teaching. I had seven days to get one day more walk with me. It was 15, 20 miles, I think, between the two cities. It could have just been that Paul didn't leave early that morning with the rest of them to catch a ship because he wanted to check on Eutychus. Or it could have just been Paul, as he begins this journey to Jerusalem, he just kind of wanted to be by himself for about 20 miles and walk with God and pray because he set his mind on being obedient to what God wanted him to do. But notice as you walk through 13 through 16, it basically says that they go from Assos, and then they go to Mytilene, and then they go to Chios, and they go to Samoa. This would be like one day, two days, three days, four days, and then they get to Miletus. What's, what's the point? Paul, at every point, is faithful to do what he's called to do, but then guess what he does? He moves on. Why? Because God's called him to Jerusalem. This is how we cure the drowsiness in our life. This is how we cure the lethargy in our life. Even when perhaps we are worn out, guess what we do? Back to the top. We respond in faithfulness. 
Now, where did he sleep? At the end of the day, he preached. He preached till midnight. There was a resurrection. They had a midnight snack. He taught all the way to sunrise, and then he leaves, and he walks 15 to 20 miles. When did he sleep? I don't know. But the point is, y'all, Here's a normal dude like us, an apostle, yes, but a human just like us that refuses to coast spiritually on what had even happened the night before. And what does he do? He wakes up, or he doesn't wake up. He just goes on awake and presses on. Verse 16, he decided to sell past Ephesus. So notice, when he gets down here, He's going to come in contact with the Ephesians again, but he doesn't. They decide to sail past. Why? Maybe because he doesn't want to go back in the midst of when he left, the riot that went in in, in 19. But we're told that he wants to get to Jerusalem by Pentecost. This is early. This is spring. Passover's finished, and he's trying to get down here. Why? He's taking up this collection for the Jews from a Gentile congregation. And it just might be that he wants to get there in time in order on the day of Pentecost that when we celebrate the, when the Holy Spirit came down, that he can bless the Jewish churches with a gift from the Gentiles. And so what does he do? They stop at Miletus and where Justin will pick up next week, he calls the Ephesian elders and they come from Ephesus to Miletus and Paul charges them about this church. Everywhere Paul went, he was concerned about what God had called him to do. He was faithful to do what God called him to do. And he was faithful wherever he was to pour into the people around him. That's how we don't fall into spiritual apathy, lethargy, sleep, drowsiness. So as we get ready this morning to take of the Lord's Supper, Daniel, you guys can come on up. How do we apply this text in our life? What's encouraging is, is that when we gather this morning, we're doing what the church in Acts did. But we just don't gather for the sake of gathering. We gather so that the Lord meets with us, And the Lord speaks to us, and the Lord encourages us, and he convicts us, and he exhorts us, and he challenges us for things in our life that need to to be changed. And so what an opportunity this morning is we remind ourselves of what Jesus has done for us, that it's a call for us to be obedient to what Jesus has called us to do. And so for some of us, guess what? There needs to be confession of sin. There needs to be an acknowledgement of our own messed upness. There needs to be a recognition that in Jesus, he accepts us and makes us clean. It needs to remind us of our responsibility to the people around us. And so what I want us to do is just to take a few moments and to pray. And as we've looked through the word this morning, maybe God's just put his thumb on something in your life. It may be this morning, man, that you're not in Christ and you're in danger of hell. Can I just tell you there's hope this morning because Jesus died for sinners. And if you don't know Christ this morning, repent and believe the gospel that he died for you. Let's spend some time in prayer, and then we will take the Lord's Supper together. Just take a few minutes, bow your heads, and talk to the Lord. Hand struggles over to him, as we saw in the psalm earlier. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. Confess sin.
Acknowledge your need for him.